0: Range of topics in the area of faith, and I don't know how long this will take, but I don't really care. It might end up taking all year or even longer, but that's okay because it all comes from the Word of God. So, today we're actually addressing the issue of when healing doesn't come. Sometimes we have to wait, sometimes we don't have our prayers answered. In the way in which we would like them to be. And I do want to address this issue. Just by way of recap, there is provision for divine health and divine healing. It's part of our rich eternal inheritance in Jesus. And our eternity starts right now. So we don't have to wait until we die to receive our eternal inheritance. Healing is for all Christians. It's the privilege of those who have accepted the invitation to become followers of Jesus Christ. And it is for all Christians, not merely for some. And it's obtained by faith in God and belief in His promises. And you know that I'm very strong on the idea that we don't have faith in His promises, we have faith in God. Because we can only have faith in somebody with whom we have relationship. So we have a relationship in God. Our trust in him grows as our relationship develops. And we believe the promises that he makes in his word. And when you think about it, that's exactly how we are. As children growing up, you know, you'll see a small child. Like Joey, Joey trusts his mum and dad and he trusts his granddad. Just see how he acts around them. He will trust them much more than he trusts me because he only sees me usually on a Sunday morning. But if mum and dad, granddad, aunts and uncles make a promise to Joey, he believes them. But he believes them because he trusts them through relationship, and so it is in terms of our faith and our belief. Last week, we reiterated how important it is to understand that divine health and healing is a kingdom thing. So when we're living our lives in the kingdom, then we have divine health and divine healing. But we wanted to address the whole issue of what happens when we don't get healed as we pray. I talked about unbelief. And I actually think this is the biggest barrier to healing in the church today. And you know, one reason for it is that so many only have a very shallow relationship with God. And you cannot really believe in the promises unless you have relationship. On the other hand, don't feel condemned if you do lack belief because it takes time. And even if you have faith in God, sometimes it's very, very hard to believe the promise especially when you've had a long wait or when you are struck down with a life-threatening illness or disease. But do not be condemned. Do not allow Satan to accuse you and in particular, do not allow him to accuse you of lacking faith because you almost certainly don't lack faith. Faith, the problem is unbelief. Sometimes people raise the issue that Jesus healed sinners, and yes, he did. Because I would argue that if you expect healing, you need to be pretty careful that you're not in a state of sin. That is, that you're not willfully, knowingly Sinning, get that kind of sin right out of your life. If you know you're sinning, if you're doing it willfully, get it out of your life. And I think that's about where we got to last week. And what I want to do today is to continue answering the question, well, what if I don't get healed? And uh, today I want to speak particularly on the notion of God's will. And uh, this is one area where there's a significant division within the Christian faith between those who we might call Calvinist, who followed the teaching of theologian John Calvin, and those, I suppose, who are not. Uh, Some people would call us perhaps Arminian. That doesn't really matter. The labels don't matter too much. But uh, John Calvin was actually a lawyer and um, he had some very strict ideas and he did have Bible verses to, to back them up but I would humbly suggest that perhaps at times he wasn't interpreting the scriptures in the context of the whole of the Word of God and I think it's really important to understand scriptures in the context of the whole of the story of the Bible. But I I hear over and over and over again. It must have been God's will or this must be God's will. Now the trouble with ascribing everything to God's will is that we end up believing in a capricious God. A God who might heal me, not a God who has made a promise to heal me. If I pray he might heal me. If I rid my life of willful known sin, he might heal me. But I've been saying, if we go back three or four weeks, when we introduced the topic of healing as part of our eternal inheritance, I mentioned to you that one of the doctrines which is adhered to by Australian Christian churches, of which we're a member, was that divine healing is the privilege of all who are followers of Jesus Christ. And it was won for us by the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So it's an important element of the doctrines held by Australian Christian churches. However, even within ACC circles and Pentecostal evangelical churches we still often hear it must have been God's will. Now I don't accept that. I know God's will from his word. I know God's will from his word. You know even this morning I was listening to some pretty well known uh, Pentecostal uh, faith based preachers saying it's no accident that you're here today. Now, I never say that. It isn't, it's not an accident in the sense that you made up your mind to be here. Right? God did not pull you out of bed and put you in your car and force you to drive to church this morning. Right? I know it's God's will for you to be fellow... Is that what happened to you, Carl? <laughs> it wasn't God, but it was someone who's close to God. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> Carl's visiting us today, by the way. Uh, Carl is Michelle's brother and uh, cousin. cousin, sorry, cousin. There is a family likeness there. But, um, so you got dragged out of bed this morning, Carl, did you? <laughs> well, he's here. He's here. Almost because God brought him here. But anyway, there you go. There you go. But you see, the thing is this. Of course the Holy Spirit woos you. Fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters in Christ is important. Worshipping together is important. And you know, you will sometimes have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Gary's testimony is about the Holy Spirit grabbed him and shook him and said, you need to go. Isn't that right, Gary? But you know what? He wouldn't be here unless he actually made the effort. He's got every excuse under the sun to stay in bed on a Sunday morning because he works a night shift. Right? So he's got a better excuse than most of us for not being in church on a Sunday morning. But you see, the Holy Spirit probably wooed him for a couple of years and then got a little bit more assertive and spoke to him and said, you need to go. But you know what? He wouldn't be here if he didn't make a decision to be here. So, you see, we have to respond. And we don't blame God for the fact that you're in church this morning, (laughs) all right? You're in church this morning because, yes, you were worded by the Holy Spirit. And hopefully you enjoy being here most of the time anyway. Unless I'm berating you from the pulpit. (laughs) But, you see, you made a choice to be here. You made a choice. And praise God, it'll turn out to be a good choice. But, But let me just uh, temper that a little bit by saying the notion that we speak in terms of if it be God's will actually comes from Scripture, but a a misunderstanding of Scripture. Have a look at this. In uh, Luke 22, verses 41 to 42, this is what is recorded. And he was withdrawn from them, that's his disciples, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, this was shortly before Jesus was arrested and ultimately crucified. He knew full well why he was on earth. He knew, and he shared with his disciples on numerous occasions That he was about to die. He prophesied of course. That he would be raised to life again. In three days. And uh, it's undeniable that this is what Jesus said. There's no translation that I'm aware of. That uses different words. But let me say. That this is a prayer of consecration. Or a prayer of dedication. Because Jesus knew God's will. And really what he was saying was, I don't actually want to do this, Lord. And can you understand that? Because Jesus was fully man, remember? He was God incarnate, but on earth he was fully man. He had all the emotions, all the physical sensations that we have. So can you imagine what it must have been like for him? knowing full well that he was about to die the worst possible death. The Bible records that his body after that flogging was utterly unrecognisable as that of a human being. That's how badly his body was torn by the whips. Unrecognisable. He knew that that was what he was facing. So, of course, he says, Father, I don't want to do this. If it be your will, please, please, please don't make me go through it. But then what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And, you know, we can pray prayers like that ourselves, of course, because they're actually a prayer in which the person is saying, I consecrate myself to your purposes. I consecrate myself to your will. So this is really not about Jesus not being certain about what is God's will. He knew for sure and certain what it was. But as any man would do, he prayed, Lord, take it away. I don't want to do this. But then nevertheless, I really do want to do your will. All right? So I don't think that that passage really supports the idea that sometimes it's God's will to bless us or to heal us or to bring financial um, plenty into our lives. It's not that he does it sometimes or for some people because the whole point about Jesus' prayer was that he was actually consecrating himself to God's will, to God's purposes. Here's another example. And uh, this one you will uh, find in Matthew 8, verses 2 to 13. I'm actually going to read the whole lot of this um, rather than simply what's up there on the, on the screen. It's interesting because in the book of Matthew the leper's healing is recorded and then straight away the faith of the centurion is recorded. So let me read this to you. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So he was really saying, you just go away and do what the Old Testament law says. So if a leper was healed, they had to go and show themselves to the priest. The priest would declare that they were now clean and then they had to go and make an offering. And then it goes on and says this, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralysed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered him and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marvelled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And to say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Contrast, isn't there? The centurion, perhaps because of his experience as a man in authority, simply believed that by his word, the word of Jesus, that is, the servant would be healed, and that's exactly what happened. Right? It happened as he believed. Well, what about the leper? Well, clearly, the leper was coming to Jesus from an Old Testament perspective. We, we can see that because Jesus told him to go away and do what the Old Testament law said. But what was the point of Jesus' death? It was to actually set us free not only from sin, but also from death and all of those things that bring death. Some commentaries I've read have suggested that the leper didn't have this. In particular, the leper didn't have the New Testament. The leper had no understanding as to why it was that Jesus was on earth in the first place and what it was that Jesus was sent here to accomplish. We actually are in a totally different position to the leper we know that the will of God is that we should live out our lives in divine health. And see, Satan tries to rob us of divine health, and that, of course, is when we need divine healing. The next thing I'd like to address is this whole idea of waiting You know, it's really good, isn't it, when we have an instant answer to prayer. And you know, I've prayed for, I don't know, probably thousands of people over the last 30 years, and they've had instant relief. I've prayed for others, and nothing's happened while I've been praying with them, but they felt something when they were driving home in their car. In some cases, healing takes Years of read testimonies of people who stood on the Word of God for as long as seven years until healing came. That's massive. Uh, We're still standing on God's promise of healing for Jeanette with her celiac disease. Now, the world says she can never be healed, all right, because it's a genetic illness. It's got genetic causes. She's had it all her life, most likely. And what, what happens is it gets triggered at some stage in life and most likely it was triggered by pregnancy. Um, that's my theory anyway. And I, I'm Dr. Rod, remember? <laughs> so, you know, I, I can sort out all these things. <laughs> anyway, but the point about it is this. The world says she can't be healed. The Word of God says she can. Who am I going to believe? What the world says or what the Word says? So we continue to stand on his word. She was diagnosed in 2004, wasn't it? 2008. It's a long time ago. A long time ago. But we stand on the word anyway. Now, a couple of times, you know, because she's a celiac, if she eats anything with gluten in it, she'll get sick. But, you know, there have been occasions when she has accidentally eaten something with gluten in it and we've just prayed and it's had no effect on her. So we're still waiting, but we're not going to give up. And I don't care. I will go to my grave if I have to. But I will continue to pray for healing for Jeanette. Uh, One reason is, a selfish reason, I don't like gluten-free food. (laughs) You know, like I can't go, I can't. If we want to have fast food, no KFC, Liam. Because KFC is not gluten-free, right? Right. No way, it's full of gluten, it's full of fat, all the stuff I like. But no good saying to Jeanette, let's go to KFC, even though it's the closest fast food to where we live. So, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to healing, mate, because, you know, on date night, I'm going to take it to KFC. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) It probably is, but... Oh, well, you know, you can have a little bit of stuff that's bad for you, can't you? Maybe maybe. (laughs) We'll get Pamela actually, just as an aside, I actually do think healthy living and healthy eating is part of our responsibility as as Christians. So we might actually get Pamela one day to share about her experience with with diet. In fact, I was listening to um, uh, Don, Don Colbert, his name is, he's an American doctor and I was actually listening to some interviews that Uh, were played on on Believer's Voice of Victory, which is the Kenneth and Gloria Copeland television program. So he's listening to them this morning. And he was giving some fabulous advice on how to eat more healthily and just brilliant stuff. So that is part of being a Christian, is actually looking after our temple of the Holy Spirit. So we won't neglect that topic and we will definitely come back to it. And I'm fascinated by what Pamela shares in terms of how a change in diet made a big difference to her own health. So, that's coming up. That's something to look forward to here at Ignite Life Church sometime in the not-too-distant future. Now, I want to talk a little bit about a bit more about this idea of waiting. And the, the waiting is no fun. The waiting is absolutely no fun. It's quite interesting, you know, if you have a look at the book of Daniel, in one... And then the next chapter, there are a, there's an example of why it is that sometimes a prayer is not answered instantly. So let me read to you from the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 20 to 23. And this is Daniel writing in the first person. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God... For the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of his supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved... And therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. Now it goes on to talk about the vision that God had given Daniel. But the point here is that the prayer of Daniel was received and was responded to instantly. And that's what we like, all right? We, I, I'm like that. I like to have everything sorted out by yesterday. You know? So I do like to get that instant response. But let's have a look in Daniel chapter 10 and see what happens in verses 11 to 13. And he, this is Gabriel again, said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and i have come because of your words but the prince of the kingdom of persia withstood me 21 days and behold michael one of the chief princes came to help me and i've lost the rest of it anyway but the... because i was detained yeah can you finish that sentence because i because i was detained there with the king of persia thank you for some reason i just lost the last um the last sentence off my, my notes. So there, in this particular case, you see there was a battle actually going on in the heavenlies. And see, what we don't always see is the battle that's going on. And so sometimes we do get an instantaneous answer to prayer and other times we don't. Now in this case, it was only 21 days in some cases of testimonies, I've heard it's a lot longer than that. And uh, in Jeanette's case, of course, we're still waiting and we're believing for that healing to come. And I will never let it go. I can remember the year in which she was actually diagnosed with um, celiac disease. It was September 2004 when she actually got her, got her um, diagnosis. But, you know, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for years. We stood on the word of God. I can remember sometimes being on my knees in tears in my study, just holding the Bible up and saying, your word tells me something different to our experience. In 2004, I'm convinced she was dying. She had the gait of an 80-year-old. You know, you had to help her across the road. She was as skinny as can be. Maybe she'd like to be that skinny again, I don't know, but she was... Like her like arms and legs were blooming toothpicks. In February 2004, God gave me one single word, and that word was vitality. And I knew that word was for Jeanette. Well, I stood on that word. We prayed that word day after day after day. And in 2004, when she got her diagnosis, I actually rejoiced because I knew what the enemy was. And all she had to do actually was change her diet. And in fact, I remember saying to God once, Lord, don't make her get any better because she's getting too cheeky for me to handle. <laughs> you don't know what Jeanette was. fifteen was like 15 years ago. And in at the beginning of 2004, I thought I was going to lose her because she was so sick. Well, look at her now, eh? She's not sick like that anymore but I'm still believing for healing, perfect, complete and permanent because I don't want to eat any more gluten-free food. (laughs) No, just joking. (laughs) Just joking. So look, the point is this. Sometimes the answer doesn't come quickly because there's a battle that's going on in the spiritual realm that we're simply not aware of. And there are principalities and powers that were corrupted They're all part of this fallen world in which we live and they have influence and they have influence that is not always influence for good. Now, something that's not in my notes that I just want to refer to very briefly and it has to do with the New International Version of the Bible. Now, you know I don't use it. Most of the time I use the New King James Version Now, I do that because I prefer it as a translation. It's not perfect. Now, one of the issues that has arisen with the NIV, which is used in most churches today, most contemporary churches, including most ACC churches, use it. But the translators of the NIV made a decision to translate the expression, Lord God, which appears many, many times in the Old Testament, they made a decision to translate that Sovereign Lord. Now, they were not wrong in doing that because the Sovereign has ultimate power. But unfortunately, many, many Christians understand the sovereignty of God in terms of this, if it be your will, understanding. And that Instead of God being sovereign in the sense that he is over all, he is the God who created the universe and by his word he actually upholds it. Many people have started to interpret the notion of sovereignty as God makes a decision on every individual case and he doesn't treat people the same way. It's just not true. So I prefer not to use the NIV myself. That's not the only reason, but that's one of the main reasons. I think it's dangerous to water down the meaning, and the meaning of sovereign from someone who is the creator of the universe and the one who upholds the universe by his word to an earthly sovereign who often changes his or her mind. Okay, so when we have the sovereign, we think of you know the kings and queens of England, and they would just as soon as chop someone's head off. You know what I mean? They were capricious. They they weren't consistent. So I just think that's something which is worth bearing in mind. One more question: Will I get sick? All right. Well, I'm not believing that I'm going to get sick because divine health. You see. God's intention is is that we don't get sick, that we have divine health. When we do get sick, Satan has somehow managed to rob us of our inheritance. However, we must understand that we live in a fallen world, a world that has been affected by sin, and it will remain to be so until Jesus comes a second time, until Jesus returns to rule and reign on earth. We will be subject, no matter how good a Christian we are, we will be subject to the fallenness of this world. So yes, I'm sorry to say, we're going to have to deal with the issue of sickness. And Michelle and Carl have had a very sad event in their own extended family of a little baby who died at a few months old. And they prayed and didn't get their answer to prayer. That's a terrible tragedy. You know, Jeanette and I, we, we can vividly recall sitting on the bed of a 13-year-old boy as he died of leukaemia. And uh, he died just a few hours after, after we left. We prayed for him. All of us will have friends for whom we've prayed and we haven't seen the answer to prayer. The fact that we live in a fallen world is not God's fault. Do you understand that? It doesn't make God a capricious God. Sin entered into this world when Adam and Eve wanted something God said they couldn't have and has been with us ever since. The other thing I just want to point out, and we we've only really got another minute or so I don't want to keep us too late is that we have divine health we have access to divine healing as part of our inheritance however we are never promised protection against persecution Jesus said on numerous occasions that we would be persecuted because of him. And you know, 10 years ago, we might have scoffed at that and thought, well, in Australia, we're way beyond that. That sort of thing doesn't happen. But guess what? We're living in a dangerous time for Christians, even in Australia. Matthew 5.11, Jesus says this, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Matthew 10.22, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24.9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Guess what? It could get tough. And the blood of Jesus does not cover that kind of persecution. So part of our inheritance is prosperity. Part of our inheritance is healing. But I hate to give you this bad news. We might be persecuted. And that is the price we pay for being followers of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a slightly down note. Now, if I